0: If it's okay with you, Tom, I'd like to do something a little bit different this week.
1: A bit different? Different
0: how? <laughs> yeah, um, I've been working on some CSS and HTML and front-end stuff. Excellent. And I've got a, got a few gripes with CSS. I was wondering if you'd be able to gripes. clear... Gripes? definitely. Uh, I was wondering yeah. if you'd maybe be able to clear them up. Oh. <laughs> so no. I thought maybe I could ask you loads of like little CSS questions and just see what your opinions are on, on them.
1: Yeah. Um, so kind of rapid fire, styly. Yeah. Rapid fire CSS. CSS. Okay. Well, what What's the, the foley for rolling up
0: sleeves? Um, let's get to it. <laughs> right. I'm going to start off with this is one you told me ages ago. Um, I think it was something to do with eval and inner HTML. What's wrong with doing an element plus equals inner HTML? There's, well, or um, is there something wrong with in a HTML in general in in JavaScript? As this is not even a CSS question. Sorry, no, this, this is, is a, yeah, this is
1: like a JavaScript. Oh, this is all front end. I'll take it. We'll, we'll ease in gently. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about you. You've got um, some stuff you want to put on the page, but the page is already loaded, and you're using JavaScript to then add to that page to change the content. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. You've then got like a, a, an extra div you want to add in in a certain place. So you change the, the inner HTML of a wrapper div to insert yeah. uh, the new stuff into yeah. it. Or there's a text node and you want to change the text of that. Yeah. 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 Someone hits a button and you want to increment the number and show it. Well, in short, there's nothing wrong with it. It works fine. And there used to be, back in the day, there was like performance concerns. Not anymore. Like. If it's working, use it. But beware is the only caveat. Um, do you have any clue as to why you might need to beware?
0: Uh, not really. Um, security, 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 security. Security would probably be one. But how would you? How would that? How would that affect security?
1: Because if you were to, so what you're doing is you're taking a string and dumping it onto the page. And that string happens to have maybe DOM elements in it, like P tags or spans or divs, but it could also have a script tag in there. So if you were making, I mean, the canonical example is like a chat app and you're just updating the screen with the last message that the user, the person you're talking to sent. Um, And -hmm. if that user then happens to include like a message that says, Oh, hello, how are you doing? And then a JavaScript tag, that does some JavaScript on your page.
0: So a bit like a SQL injection. Yes, it's, it's a, a essentially, JavaScript injection. Yeah,
1: yeah. essentially a, a cross scripting attack.
0: Just one final question for this JavaScript. This is going to be the JavaScript section, by the way. <laughs> I've got <laughs> okay. no other JavaScript questions. Um, is it better then to do like a document dot create element div and then document dot and then that element dot style equals and then that element dot Text equals is that a better way of doing it? It's better because it's explicit.
1: I mean, the simplest way would be to maybe if you're doing if you're just if ju- you literally are just updating text is to update update the text node. I can't remember what the the thing is called now. Um,
0: Isn't it dot text dot content?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just use sort of dot text sometimes. I often. I mean, I mostly use an HTML to be honest, but but that's because I'm passing all my stuff beforehand. Um and in fact most of the time I'm using React, so I'm using JSX instead, so I don't even have to worry about that. But I have I've written a library in the past, like Peakabell, my audio web audio player, um, was doing lots of create node, set node like create div or whatever, all that kind of stuff. And then setting mm-hmm. setting the style, setting all the properties individually. And it's just it's a pain to write, to be honest, and HTML is a good shortcut as long as you are completely certain that what you're putting on the page is safe. Um, yep. Yeah, I've, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's very rare that I use it. It would be if I'm jumping onto a page that has very little other JavaScript, um, and I just need to do something simply. Sometimes it's the easiest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, beware that if you're yep. using content that you don't know where it's come from, make sure you. Um, what do you call it escape any
0: dangerous characters? I guess that's the same then with using the eval function, which kind of runs in JavaScript whatever you've put in it, essentially. Does it run yes. a string?
1: Yeah, it will run, it will evaluate a JavaScript, a piece of JavaScript, and run it straight away. The problem with it, with the problem with eval, the reason it's doubly useful, uh, doubly useless, because it will, if you put, if you, presumably you've got to write that in JavaScript somewhere, um, as soon as eval is in there, it will stop pre-passing the in it won't um i can't remember what the expression for it is but it won't pre-process the javascript when the page loads it will do everything sequentially um bec- mm-hmm. not just the bit that you're evaling it'll do everything on the f- on the fly like that rather than like how how javascript's supposed to work so there's a massive performance penalty for using eval. even just even just one eval in 2000 lines of, of javascript will mess everything up make things run much more slowly.
0: Why Why does it exist if it's so bad? I'm just looking on the MDN docs and they even say, <laughs> don't use it. <laughs> There's a bit on the docs that says never use eval.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of, I mean, well, I think this will probably, if you're asking about CSS, this is definitely going to come up. There's a lot of fuss about backwards compatibility. Um, we don't want to break the old web. Some of the old web uses eval, so keep it in. <laughs> yeah, I'm all for <laughs> killing it entirely.
0: Uh, okay. Right, so uh, let's move on to some CSS then. Excellent. Do we have? A, so, do, should we have
1: a, a between question jingle?
0: So when I'm when I'm creating a website and I've got to deal with widths and heights and stuff, and uh, like the distances between stuff, so margins, padding, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, I don't know which. Th- there are a lot of ways of setting that distance. So there's like. Uh, so the ones I've come across are EM, uh, REM good band pt px millimeters centimeters which, which is the which is the best one to use because there, there are a lot of options and- well
1: yeah there's i think there's a difference between the good a, a good good options and the best i don't know if the the best is probably up for debate um are there ones
0: that are preferable then
1: yes uh, i mean we first of all we're in digital medium millimeters and centimeters don't make sense don't use anything don't use anything like that um also point uh, pt is reasonably yep. it's kind of a legacy of print, um, where a point is is a defined size in in the world of print. Um, so I've got a type ruler uh, in my bag of lead type that has points on it, and that's very precise for measuring actual print distances for when you're setting letterpress. Um, that's also a bit of a, a bit of an anachronism,
0: I suppose. That's though people are used to seeing that with. Uh, Word documents and things like that, aren't you? You set your font in twenty points, don't you? Yes, so. but
1: I think that's just another of the the creeping awfulness that Word has um, brought on the world. I think if if there was one thing I could do to make my past career much better, it would be to erase Word and <laughs> Word from existence, <laughs> so clients never ever know about it, and like the whole like, like a rich text editor is just. The cause of so many problems, and one <laughs> as clunky and cumbersome as word that has so much legacy gumph in it is just terrible. Um, but yeah, right. this is, this, we're getting away from CSS now. But
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so try not to use point.
1: <laughs> no, I mean the, the obvious, simple answer is pixels and um, px, picks, Um because that's what's actually getting rendered to the screen. Um, and some of the options that I prefer actually, once you get too far away from the concept of pixels can like like not using pixels can lead lead to trouble which i'll get into but the pixel is the the kind of the canonical unit of size for the for the web and there's nothing wrong with using pixels it used to be bad to use pixels
0: i was going to say because people have different amount of pixels on their screen don't they
1: (laughs) well they do yeah the retina is a bit tricky but the i think as long as since forever since i uh When's forever? Uh, Two thousand and whenever it was, fifteen, fourteen. That Retina screens became a thing. I forget the exact date, but I think since they've been a since double pixel density screens have existed, the browsers have been really smart at dealing with it. That's never been a that's never been a problem. The problem is people setting their own font size for accessibility reasons. So some people boost the um, they like to boost the native font size of their um, web pages so that they could, the, the text is larger. So say, yeah, your site is not so good or you're using on a tiny screen and you want to see things bigger. Um, that's a perfectly valid use of the web um, and people do that all the time and still do, but it used to be that pixels didn't respect that and you, you're essentially hard coding over any user-based settings. So for ages, then the best advice was to use M, um, which is a relative uh font size value um do you know do you know much about m do you know why it's called m
0: I, I, I know that it kind of it does it it's kind of almost like a percentage just like relative distance or something
1: so sort of so what you're doing is you're setting the size of text that's, that's what it's designed for it's designed to um what was called uh not leading but the the type height of the text that you use like how big essentially what size font do you want to use um the reason it's called m is because it's the width of an m oh. um and there's there's an idea, the idea of an m dash and versus an n dash um so their hyphens like a little short hyphen is an n dash because it's the width of an n and an m dash is much wider so it's the width of an m
0: um mm. yeah wow.
1: so that's that so that's kind of m is generally taken to be the squarest of the characters that are likely to appear <laughs> once you take into into account ascenders and descenders Um, So the width of an M is generally as high as your text is going to be. Um, So you would say on your page, you want an M to be 12 pixels or 16 pixels is probably the better standard. And from there, you then work out everything using M because that's like you say, it's a percentage of that. So 0.5 M would be half whatever the height of your text is. And the point is that cascades. Um, the whole, that's what the the C in CSS is is all about cascading. So if you set a font size of sixteen pixels everywhere, and then further down you have like a point eight um, pixel size, then it's going to be a point eight rem font size. It's going to be point eight of whatever sixteen pixels is, which is my maths is terrible. 12, <sighs> 12, 12.8 pixels high is going to be the new <laughs> the new font size on that. A nested child. That I, I I,
0: I, I'm going to have to leave the my math. My maths is awful because you were laughing while you said the answer, so that won't cut easily.
1: That's <laughs> that's fine. I think I'm I'm perfectly happy letting people know that I I can't do mental arithmetic. I've no shame. In it. <laughs> <laughs> I let I let computers help me all the time. Um, but it does it it brings up handily a problem with using M, which is that you end up with ridiculous values like well, twelve point eight is pretty bad. But you also can get recurring and all sorts of like many like 12 significant digits past the the decimal uh, when you're calculating values using M and that lends that sort of butts up against the idea of subpixel rendering. So when you're trying to say you're trying to render something on the page that is smaller than a pixel or to precision that is smaller than a pixel, and then you get weird janky problems. So if all your if all your columns in a grid are 10 0.5 0.5 pixels wide it's not going to render when it gets to the 10th pixel going horizontally across the page it's going to make a decision it's going to say oh do i round this up or do i round it down um the browser is going to do that um and then you yeah. end up with inconsistency so either your content like the container for your columns is too narrow or um things overflow or things underflow you get really subtle weirdness that can drive you crazy until you realize that oh that's because the reason this thing doesn't line up when i make it 6.5 Eight pixels, whereas it does when I make it six point seven pixels, um, but it jumps between those two values. is because it's sub pixel rendering. It's not actually rendering it to the point value. It's just rounding up or down. Um, yeah. So there's that's danger. Um, so that's where root m. Uh, so use become useful to rem or rem as the unit, and that's um, what that kind of you you set that on the body. Um, that's the only uh, that's the only place you can determine what a rem height is. It doesn't cascade, so everywhere. You, so say you set a rem to be ten pixels, everywhere you use a rem, it will be ten pixels, no matter where in the cascade it is. Which is confusing sometimes, um, <laughs> <laughs> but also you know, there's a, le- a level at which it's not very different to using pixels. Um, so what I've been doing for years, and I now do out of force of habit, is set set my root m so on my body, I set the font size to um, 62.5%, which, <laughs> because the native like default size, like the default 100% font size is 16 pixels, that sets a rem to 10 pixels. So then I always know that 0.1 of a rem is equivalent to a pixel. And that meant in the days when pixels were unreliable, you could use pixel-precise values, not, have, not worry about sub-pixel rendering, and still get the sizes that you want and you you just write it out as and instead of using pixels you kind of you just divide it by 10 and, and use rem instead hmm. of the, the pixel value which is nice and simple but to be honest there's no danger anymore in using pixels so if you like it use it we didn't touch on vw and vmin and vmax did we and
0: no v, VH. i feel like we should move on yeah <laughs> no, but they're brilliant
1: um and they were brand new when i first started and i'm Glad I get to use them, and I, I really enjoy using them.
0: But, so that's people just look visual, visual height and visual width and stuff. Is A view, it? viewport height?
1: Viewport height. So it's Sorry. a percentage of yeah. the size of the screen. Yeah. Uh, so when you're getting into responsive, like responsive design, which everyone should be doing by default, it becomes super handy for font sizes.
0: Wow, cool. That that's, <laughs> that's maybe a longer-winded
1: answer than you were hoping for.
0: Gonna use MREM rem and point, but I'm not going to use no, not point. I'm not going to use point or millimeters or centimeters, but pixels are fine.
1: Yeah. Um, and one thing I should, before we do move on, um, if you're doing things that are relative to the font, that like the type, you're literally setting things that specifically impact the typeface that's being put on the screen. So by this point, I'm talking about line height and letter spacing specifically. Um, those you should always use M for because you want it. Always, you always, always, always want that to be relative to what the font size is. So even if you've overridden the font size somewhere with pixels or um, or you've set it with rem. If you're using m for those sort of type-specific qualities, they will always be appropriate. Because um, I mean, if you, you you don't want to kind of globally set your line height to to one rem, and then suddenly you've got a heading where the text is two rem high, it's going to overflow, and you're going to get weird layout things. And yeah, unless that's a specific design choice, <laughs> don't do that. that would be
0: <laughs> okay, cool. So, next question. What's with this dash moz and dash webkit at the front of style in CSS sheets in front of styles and stuff? I see them popping up. I've copied and pasted them a few times. I'm not 100% sure what they do. I think it's something to do with different browsers.
1: Yeah, so they're browser prefixes. So, moz for Mozilla for Firefoxy stuff, webkit for anything that's webkit based, which is now, I don't know, is that not anything or is it everything? I can't remember. This is uh, this is a hangover from the horrible days of the browser wars that you're very, very lucky not to have lived through when specs <laughs> would be introduced. Like when a browser introduces a new feature, they want to denote that it's experimental, essentially, and that it's not uniform between all the different browsers. So if you see something with um, a hyphen, moz hyphen, and then the name of the, the property, that rule only applies to... Mozilla-based browsers, so Firefox, etc., as was. Um, I think as everything slowly gets eaten by Chromium, this becomes less of a problem. Um, but it's also become less of a problem because most of those originally uh, prefixed, so they, they call them browser prefixes, uh, those originally prefixed values are no longer need to be prefixed because they get brought into the general CSS spec and accepted as like, oh, this is the way to do it. We're going to do it everywhere. So everywhere that supports CSS supports that. So it's generally only relevant for experimental features um i mean i think you used to have to do it on border radius or something didn't you
0: well here it's on box shadow so i've got yeah webkit box shadow and moz box shadow they've got an extra variable at the beginning and then there's just normal box shadow so i don't know
1: yeah there used to be competing standards um i honestly have not thought closely about this for maybe five years possibly um ever since I started using a thing called auto-prefixer. Well, that was what I used back in the day when I was sort of doing Gulp and Grunt-based uh, SAS compilation. So SAS being syntactically awesome style sheets, or SCSS is the, the other version of it, um, where you're writing CSS, but it's not quite CSS. It gets compiled to CSS, so you get extra features like nesting and like breaking out into partials and stuff. Um, one of the benefits of having a build step between what you write, and what gets sent to the browser, is you can then automatically tell your build step to say, oh, you, you auto-prefix tool. You know what properties need prefixes. I don't want to care about the prefixes. When I, when I hit save, you just take those files. You find every time I've used a property that needs a prefix, and you add the prefixed versions. Um, and that's what it does. Mm. And ah. I think that has been... I mean, I don't think I'm using auto-prefixer anymore. I think whatever Webpack... Package I'm using, uh, I could probably look it up, it's like, or maybe it's baked into Node SAS or something there. But it's it's a thing. Um, make sure your build step has it, um, and make sure that you update it. I mean, back in the auto prefixer days, I, I would say which browsers I wanted to support, which prefixes I cared about, and it would you just declare that in a config file in the root of your project and never touch it again. <laughs> you should probably update <laughs> it. And I think that what the downside of that is, every now and again, you end up with like all the browsers that you support now accept uh, something that you're prefixing and you don't need to prefix anymore, but your build step because you never look at your build tools um, still adds the prefixes. So you've got some unused lines of CSS in your thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It doesn't matter. I don't think there's no problem with that. If you're massively concerned about that kind of stuff, you yeah, by the time you find that important, you'll know enough to be able to deal with it. Yeah, so I wouldn't worry about okay. it don't worry about it until it becomes a problem um, but yeah it, it's a way of the browser's flagging features as experimental and am saying it, it's like saying it's alpha it may change
0: great I've used setting X a couple of times it only ever seems to work if I set it to minus 1 or 999
1: what's going on? Uh, it just means you're a bad programmer you're bad at CSS. <laughs> Um if you've got uh, it's a point of pride in my in my style sheets, and I hear I'm setting myself up for a for a fall when someone goes through and actually looks at work I've deployed. Um, but generally, I write Z indexes between zero and ten, and those are the only values I will ever use. And most often, I don't like I don't I get a bit I get a bit nervous whenever I'm putting anything more than three. As a Z-index level, really interesting. Um, learn, learn to use your tools. Is what I say to anyone who's writing Z-index <laughs> nine, 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 which you see a lot. <laughs> um, uh, I think the problem lies in the cascade again. Like the way Z-indexes nest can be really funky, and sometimes you want something. Uh, generally, in the the evolution of a mature project, you will want a modal dialogue or something to appear over the front of every single thing on the page so you give it a massive z index to make absolutely damn sure that it comes above everything else um and then as it evolves maybe you actually also want like a sticky footer that appears on top of those modal things regardless so then you end up with an even bigger value so like you might start off being perfectly reasonable and adding a z index of nine to something and then the next person comes along and adds something and they're like oh z index of nine doesn't work type another nine, <laughs> <laughs> just keep typing nines until the thing that you want appears on top of everything else. It's, an, um, yeah, it's a sign of sloppy coding, to be honest. Um,
0: Don't look at my code.
1: <laughs> everybody does it, and it's fine, but it's, I just find it gross. Um, yeah, here we go. <laughs> cool.
0: And I feel seen. Um, <laughs> when should I use Bang Important? So that exclamation mark, important.
1: <laughs> Sometimes
0: is my slightly
1: perhaps controversial opinion on this. Um, <laughs> general best practice is never. If you're using important, that is a code smell. Something has gone wrong. You are not using the cascade properly, which is what I said about Z <laughs> uh. <laughs>
0: It's
1: exactly that same argument is you should never have to use important. Um, every now and again, it's really, really useful. But it's always, always, always a symptom of something else. Um, so mm-hmm. there's, I think, two instances in my, uh, in fact, I can only think of one off the top of my head. Um, when I'm setting rules for accessibility text, that I know I want to override every single other property. That no matter when I use this this rule, I always want it to behave the same way, um, regardless of the cascade and regardless of where it appears. Um, uh, it's a way of getting around specificity bugs, um, but that it's a hack around a specificity bug rather than a solution to the specificity bug. If you're having to use important a lot, something's wrong. I mean, yeah, I have CSS files with many thousands of lines in and only one, maybe two instances of important
0: in there. Um, <sighs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I may have a file with pretty much everything is important
1: sometimes i mean sometimes if you're using it particularly when you're working on you've got third party code coming in and you want to just customize a tiny little thing and you know what you're doing and there's no other way to do it without writing a ridiculously specific rule sometimes important is the better option because if you write a rule that addresses so so say you're using a tool like that adds i don't know tool tips to your page because i'm incapable of keeping more than two words in my mind so tool, <laughs> tool and tool that to tooltip um, say you're including a tool that adds tooltips you want to customize the color of that but the tool that you're using the dependency has very specific css classes that target that tooltip style to the background color of it and you, you couldn't get around that by writing super super specific Class names, like making sure that the cascade and the nesting is all dealt with properly, um, but that might not be the most robust solution because you're using this tooltip dependency in all sorts of different places on your site, and there's not necessarily consistency in the way that those things are nested. So your specific rule may only target one instance, and then suddenly you start. Use, so you're using it in body copy, and you write your super specific rule using CSS the way it's meant to be used. Um, and then suddenly when you actually want to use the tooltip in a sidebar or in your menu, it doesn't work because the specificity is broken again and it's a whole different chain. So you might find it's easier just to use the the classes that are provided by the vendor CSS, so the the stuff that come with the dependency, and just slap an important on there and not have to worry about it. Yeah. So that's fine. But if you're writing like a, you're on a Greenfield project and you're writing out CSS and you're using important, that's a sign that you've got bugs. Your code is riddled, and you need to you need to rethink your choices. <laughs> uh,
0: when when's it best to use an ID versus a class?
1: Now oh, this ties in nicely to what we were just saying about specificity, and having to get really precise. Um, if you have to use IDs for style rules. You're probably writing stuff that's maybe too specific. I would recommend adding... I would make the classes more specific. I try and only ever use classes for attaching style rules too. Um And IDs are saved for... Well, essentially for using in JavaScript and for where things need a unique identifier. If you're writing a unique CSS rule, Why? It should, not the. that's not what CSS is for. Write a (laughs) unique, make a unique class name and use it once, but then you can reuse it. I mean, there's so many times where you will tie something to an ID, tie some style rules to it, and then months later in the project, you want to use two of those, two instances of that on a page. And that's technically invalid because you can't have more than, like, IDs should be unique. Um, So, yeah, just use classes. For, for css styles
0: cool what's the best way to name your classes then so is it best to be specific on what they do so like right margin 50 px or for what they're being used for so like sidebar because it's used in the sidebar
1: um so this opens up a world of complexity there's no right answer for this i mean naming things is the hardest things hardest thing in computers generally speaking in programming um No, uh, my advice is have a strategy and stick to it. Be consistent. Um, So some people like to use lots of utility classes. So like like your example of right margin 50 pixels is like, why why are you writing that would be my first thing. Like that's no easier than just writing margin 50 pixels. Like you're literally (laughs) writing the CSS in the name of the selector, which is not very good.
0: Or or maybe just like right margin small.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, but you might want to say like, "Oh, there's loads of places in my style sheet where in my site where I want things to have a really big, big border above and below them." So I'm going to write a rule that's just big borders. That is fine, and then that's kind of going down the utility class. So you'd say, "Oh, this is padding large, Um, uh, dot padding hyphen large." I guess would be how you'd write that. Um, I think that's fine. I don't do it myself. I tend to go by their I tend to come up with CSS class names that are relative to the function that the thing they're describing is uh, on the, the thing that is. I had, do I don't even know how to say it. It's that hard. Um, <laughs> well, I, I use BEM as my methodology block element modifier. Um, uh, I don't think this is the place to describe that. I recommend go and go and look at a Harry Roberts CSS wizardry article on BEM or something else. Um, there's lots of different competing architectures, things like BEM or ITS, uh, inverted triangle, CSS. Um, there's loads of others that I've completely forgotten, all of them. Um, BEM's the one I use. I don't know that it's better than anything else, but it is. it does mean naming things is slightly easier for me because I've got into the habit of how the block element modifier system works and I can just do it. And it also means I can go and look at the CSS file I wrote three years ago, write some new stuff in it, and I'm not changing how i'm writing stuff and i can (laughs) understand i can read the class names and know exactly what they're doing and there's it's more important that there's a system than that you're using the quote-unquote perfect system
0: yeah yeah brilliant
1: did that help it did that that answer that question i do you now have uh
0: I'm going to carry on doing what I'm doing which is a mix of both and I label some of them helpers and put them in a little section where they're generally just like one line things where it'll be like left border <laughs> and that will create a left border and then I can just I do it for things like um, text alignment so I'll be like a line left mm-hmm. and then I can just pop that in a class yeah center centers is center is one as well yeah that's a... that leads me on to the next question though what's better is it better to do like Dot some class and then cascade it down to the h2, so dot some class space h2, or is it better to just add more specific classes to the h2 elements?
1: Uh, my answer to this is very similar to my answer to the last one. So, I, with BEM as a methodology, you tend not, you tend to avoid nesting rules. Uh, so you wouldn't exactly. do dot some class h2. You'd put a class, you'd, you'd add a new class name for that h2 element. Um, it's not necessarily good or bad. I mean, you've got to think about how uh, there's a certain level at which performance comes into it, and then how is CSS passing your rule? How quickly do you, how much of the DOM do you want it to have to look at before it finds the thing to apply the thing to? It really, it's very, very few instances where that actually matters, in my experience. <laughs> like, it's so fast, it's, you can write it. You can write absolute garbage CSS, and I guarantee, even if you've written the worst CSS file in the world, it's probably not the biggest performance bottleneck. You could get better (laughs) gains from doing something else. (laughs) Go and look at at your headers and go and look at other things. Go and look at how many images you're including and how you're dealing with those assets that are being used by the... There are infinitely many more things you can do before you need to optimize the performance of your CSS Um, in 99.9% of cases. Um, so I, it's not something to worry about, but particularly when you're writing it, I mean, the reason I like to stick to kind of one level deep, maybe like at most three levels of, of nesting, but even then that's like, again, it's another smell in my, my mind. I generally only have one level of CSS class if I can, ha- if I can help it is because it makes reusing these rules easier. It makes like using your class names as utilities much more straightforward because as soon as you make a complex class name uh, a a complex nesting chain that's the complexity you're going to have to deal with when you want to try and move things around um the general rule that i stick to is the the complexity has to live somewhere i choose to put the complexity in my projects in the class names and have more class names than most people than than other methodologies would have um so you look at my look at my uh dom there's lots of quite long-winded <laughs> quite quite specific, um, quite verbose st- style names, class names in there um, because that's where I'm putting the complexity and it makes the CSS files simpler and it makes reusing those classes simpler and maintaining them simpler in my mind. And I have, I've been doing, I've actually, I used to flip-flop and try new things for ages and ages and ages and then about three or four years ago settled on the current setup and I've only minorly tweaked it in the last few years, and it means I don't have to think about it so much, and I can be I can focus on like making things look how they should look on the screen rather than how am I structuring this behind the scenes. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks. Loads of really, uh, really insightful stuff there. I've got actually got loads more questions, so I think uh, we'll have to come back and do a part two of this uh, episode.
1: Yeah, definitely. it's been fun. It's nice to yeah. see you venturing into my wheelhouse once in a while. <laughs> it's not all back yeah.
0: stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot for listening to this week's episode of A Question of Code. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at AQOCode.
1: And you can find us online at aqoc.dev or questionofcode.com where you can find all the information about how to get in touch with us. And if you want to hear more great podcasts like this and have stuff delivered to your inbox every Wednesday, check out uh, podcastsfornerds.com, hashtag shameless plug. Um, And we will see you next time. See you then. Bye. Bye.